We are going to be beginning a new series this morning. We just spent three weeks focusing on the gospel, one week each for the, the three main points of it. That the first, that we are made in God, by God's design. God has designed everything and called his design, called his creation good and made us in particular in his image. But then we rebelled, and we tried to put ourselves in God's position, in, in death, and every form of brokenness has overwhelmed us ever since. These two explain why life is so full of meaning and purpose on one hand, and so broken at the same time. But then the third week that God loves us still. He sent his son to die for us and to rise to new life. And we can turn to him and trust. Trust Jesus as Lord. And know that by his resurrection that our sins are forgiven and that we're invited into new life with him. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. And this gospel is going to be at the heart of everything that we explore during my life with you, including in this series of sermons up until we begin the season of Advent at the end of November. So it's structured after a, a series of Tim Keller sermons that he preached a number of years ago, but it's very much redone for us. We'll look at the effect of the gospel on our society, on our work, on our character, on our churches. But first, in these first two weeks, in this next couple of weeks, on the hearts of those who believe. This is what happens to us when we believe, inside and out. We'll look at two very different people and what Jesus says to them as he challenges them to believe and trust him. And we'll start right here where we left off last week when we looked at John 3.16. Next week, we'll go on to chapter 4. But this week, we're going to look at who Jesus was talking to when he presented the gospel to him in John 3.16. And so let's read the third chapter of John right through, through verse 16. Listen now to the word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. It's with who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly. Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, Guide us as we think upon your word. Guide us into what we would know, who we would be. Guide our, my words and all of our hearts and minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what, what difference does the gospel make? What difference does it make to our lives and to the world? that we would know the story of the gospel and, and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior? What difference does it make? It's not, it's not that it would make some difference. It changes everything. It changes everything about the lives of each person who believes. We are going to spend two weeks on what the gospel does with individuals. And we're going to begin with five points on what it means to be born again. Sounds very sermon-like, doesn't it? Uh, and very simply, who, what, where, how, and then its effects on our lives. First of all, who? Who's this for? The phrase born again, it, it, it developed a meaning in our culture a generation ago a meaning other than what it means in Scripture. 30 or 40 years ago, when our culture talked about those who were born again, it was, about, it was, it was a phrase describing religious insiders. It usually described kind of an emotional people, very sensitive to every hurt, or people that were very strict morally. Everything was measured as right and wrong. Being born again was about being a, a type of person. And I think having lost its groundedness in Scripture, it lost its use even within evangelical circles, and you just haven't heard it that much the last few decades, and we just don't use it to describe our faith anymore. And if it's immediately misunderstood in the culture, it's probably a good time to give it a cultural rest but also to dig a little deeper into its meaning in this passage. 
Because this is where it comes from. Look at Nicodemus. Who he, who he was that Jesus is calling to be born again. Nicodemus. He's a member of the ruling council. He is the ultimate religious insider of that world. He's got it all together. He's very successful. He is ultimately reasonable. And to be there that night, he has also had some significant humility and generosity of spirit. You see, Nicodemus has all the credentials as a moral and religious leader. Jesus doesn't have any. He has none. He has no education in it. He has no title. He has no position. Jesus is a religious outsider. But somehow, Nicodemus is reasonable and sensitive enough, humble enough, to come to Jesus, to call him rabbi, and to seek his teaching at night. So, Jesus has met by a person who is at the peak of the religious world. And and Jesus tells him he must be a whole different person. This stuff, this, this call, this way of seeing ourselves and this world, this gospel, it is for everyone. Even those who who seem already to have everything together. And you you can't be insider enough not to need it. This is for everyone. That's the who. That's the who. Now the where. Twice Jesus mentions the kingdom of God in this passage. There's only one other mention of the kingdom of God in the the Gospel of John, in John's literature. And while most of the other New Testament authors have it as a central metaphor, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, John only uses it here. Nicodemus, a Pharisee, would have understood the kingdom of God in a particular way. It would have been a a reference to the resurrection at the end of time. The Pharisees, of whom Nicodemus is one, was not, were not Sadducees. The Pharisees believed that history would end with the resurrection and new heaven and a new earth. But that is all very future. That's all very future. And Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he can be born again into this new heaven and new earth right now. The future has invaded the present. And Paul spells it out even more. As Paul spells it out even more, but, but we know what Jesus is saying even here is that the future power and freedom of the new world, this kingdom of God, comes into our lives even now. The reign of God comes now. Take just a moment to think about it. This is no small thing. There is no tears. There's no injustice There's no hurt or failure or sin that is not dealt with, healed, forgiven in the presence of the kingdom of God right now. The now. The power of the gospel is here. That's the where. That's the where. What is it? What is it? Jesus describes it as being born of water. And spirit. 
These aren't meant to be two different things. They're meant to be the basic spiritual sustenance of the new life. For many, being born again means just being better. Just just being uh, to behave better, resolving to, to be a better person. Being born again may have that outcome, but the thing is, that's not what new life is. Being born again is two things. It's a, it's a new foundation and identity, and it's new sight and sensibility. A new foundation and identity. Nicodemus probably came to Jesus looking for that one little bit of wisdom to add to his already vast collection. One more thing that's going to make his life a little better and more right. Because that's what Pharisees and really all religious insiders are usually looking for. That one more thing to be a little better. Jesus instead instead tells him he needs complete transformation and a do-over. A woman told Keller her story of faith. She had four stages in her life. First, she was a good moral kid. Good moral kid. And then somebody told her, like the song, she's nobody until somebody loves you. And so she went looking for that guy that would make her somebody. And that was a mess. A mess of bad relationships. And So somebody told her to, to be a successful woman with a promising career, and and so she looked for an identity in success, in productivity, in money. That just led to the same uh, disappointments as romance. And then someone told her, "Just, just be good, just be kind, just be a giving person. And so she became a helper and a listener and an emotional supporter, and she came to really not like people that much, the people that she was serving. Morality, beauty, success, helpfulness, all it did was exhaust her and, and not give her what she was looking for. She had been trying so, her, so hard to earn salvation in all the best ways. But then Keller writes, she said, I realized what I really needed was to know God loves me because he loves me and because of what Jesus has done. That really changed everything. When she learned that, she had a whole new identity, a new new foundation for everything. She also had a new sight and new sensibility. She'd been a Christian all her life, but now she saw and felt everything differently. It it takes Christ and the Spirit to open our eyes to see the things of God, things that had been there all along, but we see them again as the first time. This is, that's a whole sermon in and of itself, and I'm going to be preaching that one in the the weeks to come, But but it's important to point it out here that we see everything differently. Keller paraphrases C.S. Lewis. He says, most of us go to God saying, if you come into my life, could you fix the roof on my cottage? But what he wants to actually turn you into a castle. He wants to do things you can't even begin to imagine. 
This is whole life transformation. This is, this is new birth. That's the what. Finally, how is it received? Theologians have differentiated between conversion and new birth. Conversions are what we do to come to God. New birth is what God gives to us. We can't give this to ourselves. It's something God does in us. There There are two aspects to how this happens. First is grace, and the second is Christ. Grace is the picture of new birth. Babies don't contribute. They just show up. They simply receive life. The first thing they do is breathe in. And then they they sputter and scream. How do you get this new life? You just receive it. You simply receive it as a gift. Martin Luther is one of the classic, uh, classic stories of new birth. All his life he had dramatically sought to earn God's favor, becoming a monk, doing everything he could do to get God to love him and despairing deeply that it wasn't working until he, one day he's reading Romans 1.17 and he gets it. Salvation, God's love, is not earned. It's just a gift to be received. And the moment he understood that, he was born again. That's grace. Christ is the other part of the picture of this new birth. This is, I love this insight. Every woman I've known who has had children has a story about the birthing of their children. Everyone has stories to tell. And it's a dramatic and it's a memorable time for mothers and fathers alike. But these days, in general, it's, it's in, the, in the developed world, it's a relatively safe process for mothers. In the time when Jesus brings up birthing, it is very much not a safe process for mothers. To bring a child into the world was threatening to the life of mothers. And there would be joy and forgetfulness of all the pain after the process, but for a few hours of pain, there was a real threat, a real threat for the mother. Jesus, Jesus is talking about himself. He dies so that we may live. Born again to new life. Real faith comes not just in an understanding of the love that we receive, but of the depth of that love that was given for it. Christ died for us, for our salvation. And in understanding that, we are born again. It's the hymn we just sang, When I Survey. We're the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands, transforms my soul, my life, my all. All these sermons are going to be asking the question, what difference does the gospel make? We ask about individuals. We ask the question of what happens 
to Nicodemus. This passage doesn't say whether he believed Jesus. And we're never told whether he actually came to faith. Rather, we only see an action of his later in the gospel. And it's very telling of his faith and of his transformation. He and Joseph of Arimathea asked to take Jesus' body off the cross. Here's the thing. In, this wor- in that world, it meant that they would have to prepare them by cleaning the bodies up and wrapping them up and putting spices on them. And it's a job that was not only just truly unpleasant, it also, it also makes them ceremonially unclean. It's nothing people in their positions would, would ever consider doing. And, and only women and slaves did that work. And even his disciples had all fled and denied Jesus by now. And it was incredibly humbling and courageous for them to identify themselves by their love for Jesus in that moment. They are clearly looking with new eyes and new identities in taking care of Jesus' body. In them, the gospel clearly transformed them. The end of his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis ends it by saying, the principle runs through all life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him everything else thrown in. One one story to finish. I had just finished seminary at Princeton, and seven years of higher education studying the Bible and Greek and Hebrew and, and religious studies, and I was working at a homeless shelter for a year in Houston and living in a faith community, a, a Catholic, Franciscan, Christian faith community where we prayed for about three hours a day. And I was feeling pretty good about my religious credentials. I, 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 and like a good... Presbyterian, I visited the local Presbyterian church that was just down the street, First Presbyterian Church in Houston, and I signed the book on Sunday. And a few days later, a couple of people from the church knocked on the door looking for me. And the first question they asked me was whether I knew and trusted Jesus. And I remember feeling so good about being able to tell them that, hey, I just graduated from Princeton Seminary. And that I was on a path toward ordination in the Presbyterian Church. And what, God, what's more Presbyterian than that? And I was cur- currently serving homeless kids and living in a Christian community. And I was absolutely positive I was really impressing them. You know what they said? Yeah. But do you know and trust Jesus? They were so right. They did exactly what Jesus does with Nicodemus. 
He has all the credentials. But all that matters is his faith, his trust in Jesus. That changes everything. Only then would he be born again. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story and the chance to just sit in it and dwell in it again. Phrase that many of us have heard all our lives. But we see its richness and wholeness and its call on each one of us to believe and know that it transforms everything. God, may it continue as we grow in sanctification in the Christian life, those of us who believe. May we continue to grow in you and in this new life. And for those who may not know you, Lord, draw them to you now, that they can trust you. Trust that there truly is a whole new life and faith in you. And God, guide us now as we come to a time in our service to respond in faith and gratitude with our whole selves. We'll, we'll, we'll collect tithes and offerings. May that only be a reflection of each one of us giving our whole self and use these gifts, our financial and of ourselves, for your kingdom in this We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen and amen.